And now, Nurse Talk, where laughter's the best medicine. Brought to you by the California Nurses Association and National Nurses United. Here are your hosts, Casey Hobbs and Shane Mason. Hi, I'm Casey Hobbs, host of Nurse Talk, where laughter is the best medicine. Today, we put together a show that we think will tickle your funny bone. It did ours. I hope you enjoy it. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Nurse Talk, where laughter is the best medicine. I'm Casey Hobbs. And I'm Shane Mason. And we are two of the thousands of nurses on duty today. Well, Shane, nice to see you. And judging from the looks of your neck, we might have a teaching moment on our hands. Was it another fight at Trader Joe's parking lot? Do tell. Yeah, so it it was... Actually, Shane, it looks like, you know, but if you're going to cut yourself, you have to go all the way around. (laughs) It it, it was weird. I actually, I was on the way to my uh, weekly volunteer gig, and uh, then there was a a burning orphanage, so I set my rescue dogs aside... (laughs) Jumped through the front of the window, got a little cut. So and did you okay. pull everybody to safety? I can, I can tough it. Everyone's everyone's fine. I'm fine too. Don't worry about me. Just making sure all the babies and the puppies are all right. So, actually, I had a basal cell carcinoma removed from my neck. I got another one on my shin, and it's it, just I'm, from being such a white boy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'm. It's extremely irritating. That's why I'm wearing my shirt today. I'm just in a bad mood, and I'm not. Gonna try to hide <laughs> it's a it. Terrible day. So it's a terrible day when you have to have your neck excised. Yeah, I got a bunch of sutures on my neck. I got a bunch of my shin. So here's and it the hurts. deal. It does. Yeah, it, surprisingly, it, it, it hurts. hurts. And plus, I just got this thing on my neck, and it's always on my neck. Um, so the no, thing—not even a hickey for guys. So, uh, so folks, wear sunscreen. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of it, baby. And get checked out. So a basal cell carcinoma is no big deal. It's not going to kill you, uh, but it can spread over time. I got to be honest, so I had the Mohs microsurgery, which is where they cut part of it out, and then they actually do a histology uh, exam right there and see did they get it all, and then they cut some more out. I usually get them just frozen off, and I got to be honest, I don't know. We'll have to see, because when you get it frozen off, there's like a 10% chance of recurrence, and I'm like- And it doesn't hurt nearly as much. And it doesn't, you don't have suture, so no. I don't know. My, my, my doctor, I was like, why are we doing this, dude? And he was like, well, here's why I went for it. And I got this, my legs all bandaged up, and I'm probably going to be a little irritable today, I guess. <laughs> so anyway, so, so wear sunscreen, get your skin checked out. Because also, if like I saw this little thing percolating, and I waited and waited and waited. And if I hadn't waited, it would they just would have frozen it off. And that's the thing, don't wait. If something's changing, something on your skin, get it looked at. Yeah, but this is, this is from like 25, this is like a summer in the 80s, probably. And now this is what the sequelae. When about, you were all so. of like five or something. <laughs> So how about you? Any teaching moments you want to share? I think so. Don't increase your caloric intake by 1,500 calories and stop exercising simultaneously. Oh, yeah? Not saying that it was me, but I'm just saying, you know, you probably don't want to do those two things at the same time. Is that why the camera's adding 15 pounds this week instead of the usual 10? (laughs) That's why I asked if the show could not be taped this week (laughs) online because I'm just so fat. So... (laughs) Did you mean that to be a, like, where'd that come from? Did you, you said you were sick this week or no, this wasn't you. <laughs> this wasn't me, oh, okay, good. but somebody I know very, very well who sleeps in my bed <laughs> um, was sick and decided to, couldn't walk, couldn't do the daily exercising, but couldn't get enough food. That's a tough food one. Food was just so tasty. Yeah. When you're sick, you also kind of go to some like creature comfort, comfort food, sort of stuff. Maybe. Yeah. So yeah. gravy. All right. So mm, anyway. all the things I should need. So before we lose any more listeners talking about our personal maladies, why don't we talk about the great show that we have today? 
Jane, that's right. Today, our new roving healthcare reporter, Wynne Bags. <laughs> yes, Wynne Bags files her first report on the healthy effects of bowling. I have to say I was a bowler. My yeah. life. I even have my own ball. No pun intended. Some of you may remember that Wynne called us a few months ago on air to apply for this position, and we didn't even know we had a job opening. Oh, yeah, I remember that. So she <laughs> called up, I guess, someone on the Nurse Talk staff thought that she had some she talent. We have a crack talent scout team in this organization, obviously. <laughs> <Crack> talent. <laughs> and uh, they hired her as the roving healthcare reporter. So when we're pulling for you, and today's going to be the big test. All right, Casey. So drum roll, please. It's time to introduce our roving healthcare reporter, Wynn Bags. Today, Wynn will talk with us about the healthy effects of bowling and what we might be able to do to make it even healthier. Do tell, Wynn. Hey, how are you, Casey Chain? <laughs> good, good. Win, please talk to us about bowling. Well, I tell you, I've been noticing a resurgence of the fad of bowling, not only in seeing all these big, expensive bowling alleys going up in major cities, but also in advertising lately. So I thought, let's, let's explore that a little bit and see. Is it really exercise? Because I'm sure our listeners are going, when really exercise? Come on. So we noticed that you named the report Exercise versus the latest resurging fad for the rich and famous, and that's because you think it's being taken over by uh, rich people and hipsters, I, I assume? Exactly. You see a lot of these sports complexes and entertainment complexes that are going up, including bowling alleys. Wow. And when you go in there and you want to try and, and bowl a few games, you find out it's going to cost you $75. <gasps> for bowling? Yeah. And if you want to get a drink, a beer, or say a martini, you're looking at close to $20. Oh, when? So it makes it hard in some respects to look at it as an exercise option for some. I guess. Okay, so let's talk about the research side of your report. I hope there is some research side. Who did you talk to and what did you find out? Well, I talked to some chiropractors and some physical therapists. Okay. And I also talked to a number of friends of mine who are of varying fitness levels and some who like bowling and some who don't. And I'll tell you, to be honest, most of the chiropractors and the, the PTs that I talked to, they said bowling as a form of exercise, you know, it, it's kind of one-sided, so to speak, you know, mm. because you're, you're doing all the work really with one side of your body. Mm. But at the same time, there are people of varying fitness levels out there, right? Mm -hmm. Sure. And for some people, even that is a major, major jump forward as opposed to just sitting on the couch and watching someone else bowl. So they said anytime you can get up and get your blood pumping, it's a good thing. And if you can find a way to compensate, you know, so that you're not just working one side of your body, even better. Do they suggest you change hands when you have to learn to bowl left and right-handed? <laughs> Well, that's what I was just saying. I don't know if they have switch hitting bowlers or not, you know, if you could actually learn. You know, that's a coordination and a balance thing. And me personally, I've been bowling for nearly 30-something years, and I don't think I could do it. I always think of the lady bowlers as by hand, Joel, actually, but that's just me. So, I, I, you know, I kind of question if bowling alleys are a supportive environment to get real exercise and, frankly, to eat right. you got nachos and chili cheese dogs and mm -hmm. beer and mixed drinks. Isn't it kind of bad to be in that environment? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, hang on just a second. Shane, can you hang on just a minute? Okay. I'll order for like 15 minutes. Well, I'll be trying to order for like 15 minutes. I was looking for some nachos, extra cheese, extra jalapenos, uh, fruit cups, side salad, and a large diet coke. No ice. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. I'm sorry about that. 
I'm actually here at a bowling alley. I, I came by to just watch the people bowl and see see what kind of people were here and what kind of fitness levels they were at. So I just saw you uh, a little snack on the side. <laughs> what about this idea of bowling being a fad for the rich and famous? What does that have to do with health? And it seems like uh, the observation may just be personal for you. Well, it is personal for me in that I have been bowling for over 30 years, and I have always enjoyed it and been able to go and bowl, say, three or four games and rent the shoes and have a good time and never pay more than $10. Now, you go to these new bowling alleys that are you know, popping up in major cities as part of a entertainment or a sports complex, and if you want a drink or a beer, you're looking at anywhere from 15 to $20, and they charge you $75 for three games, and that doesn't even include your shoe rental. So, you know, I do find it personal because I think everybody should have the opportunity to do it. I think so, too. And I think that uh, we should be much more egalitarian with our bowling policies in the United States. Uh, and so, but it sounds like you think there's some healthy value in the sport. I noticed that you uh, mitigated the effects of the nachos with the side salad and a Diet Coke. So we applaud that. Um, oh, I and we appreciate your report. We look forward to talking to you again. For more information on this and for... Uh, uh, you can visit nursetalksite.com. We're going to be right back. Don't go away. There's lots more to come. Can you tell if these vegetables are being contaminated with bacteria that could cause paralysis? Listen. Can't. Can you? You can't see it either. Use different cutting boards so that the bacteria in raw meats and seafood and their juices doesn't touch prep surfaces for other foods, like veggies. Raw food may contain bacteria that can make you very sick, or worse. One in six Americans will get sick from food poisoning this year, and roughly 3,000 will die. But you can keep your family safer by separating raw meats and seafood from other foods. Learn more about this and other important information. Check your steps at foodsafety.gov. That's foodsafety.gov. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Agriculture, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. My dad came to live with us last month, and you know, it's going pretty well. I feel like I never have time for myself. With him being around more, it really lets us catch up on things. His memory isn't what it used to be. We get up and we have coffee. He usually wakes up at 4.30. Then we go for a walk. He needs lots of my attention. I do need to keep an eye on his medications, though. That's important. Sometimes I feel like a pharmacist. I'd say John and the kids are adjusting pretty well. They honestly have no idea what I'm going through. It can be a little challenging. Help. But so far, so good. I could really use just a little help. For those dealing with the daily struggles of caring for a loved one, we hear you. That's why AARP created a community with experts and other caregivers for advice, tips, and support. Together, let's help each other better care for ourselves and the ones we love. Visit aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. This is a medical alert. Area hospitals are spending millions of your health care dollars on everything but patient care. Unproven technology, Wall Street investments, even buying up other hospitals. Insurance companies and hospitals increase their profits at your expense by sending sick patients home too soon or pushing them into clinics with fewer staff and poor safety protections. 
When patients are discharged too early, hospitals make you and your family responsible for complex medical treatments. Hospitals then cut their staffs of bedside registered nurses, the health professionals most critical to your care and safety. You are strongly encouraged to demand that your hospital have sufficient numbers of registered nurses to assure patient safety and professional quality care. This has been a medical alert brought to you by National Nurses United, America's voice for registered nurses. We now return to your regularly scheduled program. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Medicare. Happy birthday to you. It was 49 years ago that President Lyndon B. Johnson went to the Truman Library in Independence, Missouri, to have the former president, Harry Truman, joining him for the signing of the bill establishing Medicare, or as the record shows then, the Supplementary Medical Insurance Program under the Social Security Act. And this week's birthday coincides with the release of a new report Monday by Trustees for Medicare and Social Security showing the trust fund that pays for Medicare is in much better shape than the doom and gloom predictions of the budget cutters and legislators who favor cutting benefits, raising the eligibility age, or privatization. Now the trustees say that Medicare is on solid financial footing through 2030. Thank goodness, because that's when I'm going to be there. The best way to further improve the funding, says CNA, is to expand the risk pool by adding more healthy people, as in extending the eligibility age to cover everyone. Leave it to the nurses to leave no stone or party opportunity unturned. The Campaign for Healthy California, a coalition of over 80 organizations committed to finishing the job of healthcare reform in California by organizing for the expansion of Medicare for All, held actions in 15 cities throughout California to celebrate Medicare's successful provision of guaranteed health care to millions of elderly seniors and disabled Americans for nearly half a century. Here with us today is Myrtle Braxton Ellington. Myrtle joined the celebration in her city of Richmond, California. At 87 years old, almost 87 years old, those who know her say she is hard to keep up with. A retired Social Security Administrator, she is a tireless community activist who participates on more boards, committees, and commissions than most Richmond residents know exist. I don't know how she does it because I couldn't do all the things this woman does. Myrtle, is a, it's a pleasure to have you with us today. Can you name some of the committees in your community you're on? Yes, I'd be glad to do so. I am the secretary of the Richmond Commission on Aging. <laughs> I am the president of our Laurel Park Neighborhood Council. And the most important one for me is that I'm chairperson of the Church and Society Committee of Easter Hill United Methodist Church. I'm also on the board of the League of Women Voters, wow. uh, the Crime Prevention Program, and several other uh, organizations. My goodness, Myrtle, how do you have time to do all of this? Well, I don't need a lot of sleep. <laughs> that helps. <laughs> I guess you're not getting a lot of sleep. My yeah. goodness. And how long did you work for the Social Security Administration? Uh, for 35 years. My goodness. So you retired from that position? Yes, I did. I retired. I took early retirement, and I retired on January 1st, 1980. I'll always remember that. Well, good for you. And you, you might have retired from work, but then you went into a very large job. Yes. 
full-time volunteer. <laughs> That's great. So why, it's import- why is it important for you and others to fight for an expansion of Medicare? It's very important. As I mentioned before, my most important job that I think I have is chairperson of Church and Society for East Hill United Methodist Church. Our denomination believes that very strongly that health care is a human right. Thank it's you. not something that you decide who will have it and who will not have it. Everyone is entitled or should be covered and have health insurance. Well, I'm so happy to hear that in your church group that they're supporting this kind of social change because I like the blending of religion with a social activization, activi- activity. Mm-hmm. It's important, and that's what keeps you motivated? Yes, it does. It keeps me going is the fact that uh, we feel very strongly about that and other justice issues too, but this is one of the top priorities for us at this time. So do you think there's a chance that our country would adopt a single payer? I do, but I think we've got to start with California. Mm -hmm. I don't think we're going to be able, we'll have to do it the way Canada did, one state at a time. And I think, I hate hate that idea. You know, there may be some that will come in as a group, but I think some state has to pass it first. You're, you're right about that. Do you think it's going to be California? Because I'm kind of on the edge. It might be Vermont. Uh, yeah, I think Vermont will probably be first. <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind of sad to say because I always think of the West Coast as, you know, the forefront of change. Mm-hmm. And yet we've got Vermont over there. Are you born and raised in California, Myrtle? No, I was born in Texas. I was born in Texas. <laughs> I came to California during World War II when a lot of people migrated. I came with my parents, of course when a lot of people migrated to uh, California to work in the shipyards and in the other uh, defense agencies. Wow. So I'm going to read a quote that, that you said. I get involved because I see a problem, and I see that to solve it, the community has to get involved. Can you say more about that? Well, I mean, people wait for government to do things for them. Oh, and, uh, you know, government just doesn't do things unless you prod them to do so. Mm-hmm. This is why I feel that the community has to get involved. Mm-hmm. If you can't rally people around, you'd be shocked and surprised at some of the things that we've done in the city of Richmond because of the fact that we organize people and we and you have to educate people too to get them to see the problem mm-hmm. because people have the me, me, me attitude yes. and you have to show them that uh, some things that you think won't affect you, they actually do. And, and that's why the community has to grassroots up from the bottom and then you get the top to do things. That's great. And so is your, is your faith what keeps you going so strong and keeps you so motivated for social change? I think so. I really think so. I think, you know, when you study, uh, in our case, we study, we have Bible classes and things, and you just see that, you know, regardless of what your denomination is, uh, we are supposed to help other people, not just be selfish and, and worry about ourselves. I have health insurance, but that has nothing to do with it. Everybody should have health insurance. That's so great, and it, it leads me to my le- next question, which you have, of course, answered, but I want you to expand on. So why do you think that it's a right, uh, that it's a privilege, a right instead of a privilege to have health care for all? Uh, because of the fact that human, uh, uh, humans, or human, uh, what am I trying to say, humanitarian, should feel for their neighbors. How can you mm. say, I have it, but I don't care whether my neighbor can die of a heart attack, can't go to the hospital, or that sort of thing. We have to care about our neighbors. Love our neighbors as ourselves. 
And, you know, yeah. wasn't that really kind of what the country was founded on? Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, but help each other out? That we right. wanted to live in a free society in which we took care of each other? Well, this is true. And I always, we've always been taught that statement, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Well, you can't pull yourself up by your bootstraps if you don't have any boots. That's so, so true. That's, <laughs> that's so true, Mary. We have to help one another. That's so true. Did you have children? Oh, yes. I have five children. Wow. And grandchildren, I, I would imagine. Yeah, I have five children, six grandchildren, and six great-grandchildren. Wow, Myrtle, that's impressive. And here you are almost 87 years old, and you're still as committed as you were in the beginning. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's quite remarkable. What else would you like to share with our listeners? Well, I, think I would like to ask, ask each listener, do your part. I mean, mm -hmm. all you have to do is talk to one other person and tell that person to talk to some other person and explain why. Health care for all is so important in our country. Mm -hmm. And I bet you see a lot of people in Richmond who don't have any health insurance. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And how does that impact their overall? You know, uh, this is the part that I like to say. Um, if you think that it's cheaper not to cover people, you're wrong. Because people get sick and they end up in an emergency room twice as sick as they would have been. It would have been more cost effective to treat them throughout their lives than to treat them in an emergent situation. I agree with you completely, but I think people should realize this too. You have health, and let's say you have health insurance and something happens and you have to go to an emergency ward. People who don't have health insurance, that's their health insurance. They go to emergency. Yes. So you're sick and you go and the room is crowded with people who could have seen a doctor because the baby had a cold mm -hmm. or something like that. And then you can't get served. And that's why I say it affects us all. It's not a personal thing. It's not that I have mine, so forget about you. That's right, because you're paying for it one way or another. It's just how we want to spend our dollars. Thank so, you. Myrtle, what do you think about, why do you think nurses get involved in this fight? And Do you have a lot of nurse friends? I hope so. You know, I actually do. They're retired, of course, but I do have. But I think it's because they see the problem. Mm -hmm. They see the people who come in there, who come through emergency that could have been prevented if they'd had health care. I think they see that. I think they see people who die if they had had health insurance and they could have seen a doctor earlier. This is why I think nurses, they're so close to the problem. You're absolutely right. We see it every day. And it's disheartening to see those who get care versus those who don't get care. Yes. And, it, yes. and it's sad. It cuts across socioeconomic boundaries as well as race and um, other criteria. It is sad when we don't take care of each other. That I'm so glad that you have done what you've done your entire life. It's, mm -hmm. it's wonderful, quite remarkable. Well, thank you. I just wanted to add one other thing real quickly. It's the fact that when people don't have health insurance, they can't get um, a vaccination yes. and other uh, forms of preventing diseases that we, never, we, we had eliminated in this country. Mm -hmm. So that's another thing is you protected yourself when everybody can be protected. So I don't understand the reasoning behind people who don't want to see health care for all. I don't either. And, you know, there is some sense that there's freeloaders and people want to take advantage. You know, I've been in this business for 38 years and I see very little of that. What I see are people who need some help. Mm -hmm. And wouldn't it be nice if we could just give it to them? Wouldn't that be great? That would be. Well, Myrtle, I want to thank you for your years of service in the Social Security Administration because that was a heck of a job. Yes. Yes, it was. It was really it was interesting. Too. I bet. And then your years of service as an activist and being so active in Richmond, because God knows Richmond needs your support. 
thank you. Thank you very much. We've been talking with Myrtle Braxton Ellington, who lives and knows everybody in Richmond, California. For more information about this topic and campaign for healthy California, visit nnu.org. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Ranger Station, Ranger speaking. Hi. I'd like to report a bear hug. Uh, okay. Well, before I left my campsite, I was putting out my fire, and out of nowhere, Smokey Bear showed up and hugged me? So you drowned the fire, you stirred it, drowned it again, and felt that it was cold? Uh Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. He likes it when people correctly put out their campfires. He's pretty big on wildfire prevention. He's just letting you know you did good with a uh, hug. He's a hugger. I just got a bear hug from Smokey Bear. Status update! All right, I'm going to let you go now. I've got uh, a lot of uh, ranger stuff to do. There are many ways to start a fire, but one sure way to put it out. Learn how you can do your part at SmokeyBear.com. Only you can prevent wildfires. Sponsored by the U.S. Forest Service Ad Council and your state forester. When I grow up, I want to be a new pair of blue jeans. When I grow up, I want to be a kid's first computer. When I grow up, I want to be a glass countertop in a new home. When I grow up, I want to be a kid's best birthday present. When I grow up, I want to be a football stadium. When I grow up, I want to be a warm place on a cold day. When I grow up, I want to be a fancy backsplash. I want to be a bike that races around the country. When I grow up, I want to be a bench on a forest trail. I want to be a rocking chair on when a sunny I up, porch. I want to be a skyscraper. I want to be a... 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 I want to be When I grow up, I don't want to be a piece of garbage. And if you recycle me, I won't be. Give your garbage another life. Recycle. Learn how at IWantToBeRecycled.org. A public service advertisement brought to you by Keep America Beautiful and the Ad Council. Mommy, I don't feel good. I know, sweetheart. I'm going to talk to a nurse. Hello. Hi, I need to speak to a nurse, Welcome right? To community hospital health line. Away. Please press one now. Mm. To pay your bill by phone. Oh, come on. Press two to connect to a nurse. A nurse. Perfect. There are no longer nurses at this location due to profit-driven staff cutbacks. Press 5 now to take a survey rating our excellent billing services. Come on, honey. We're going to the hospital. Welcome to America's corporate healthcare system. When hospitals cut essential staff, spend billions on impersonal technology, and put their profits ahead of your care, you and your loved ones suffer. Make sure help is there for you when you really need it. Insist on safe levels of registered nurse staff. Registered nurses put the care in healthcare. A message from National Nurses United, the voice of America's registered nurses. Welcome back to Nurse Talk, where laughter is the best medicine. Do you wake up with a cough and a dry throat, a little burny, acid feeling? Well, our next segment is going to shed some light on that issue for you. Welcome back to Nurse Talk. I'm Casey Hobbs, along with my co-host Shane Mason, and we are two of the thousands of nurses on duty today. Are you an enigma? And so what's an enigma, you say? It's one, a puzzling or inexplicable occurrence or situation. Two, a person of puzzling, incongruous, or inexplicable nature. 
Shane, according to that definition, I think we have at least two enigmas sitting right here. <laughs> Are you afraid to go to a movie or concert because your loud or disruptive cough will embarrass you or someone you're with? Do people turn away from you in elevators and other public places because they're afraid they're going to catch some awful disease? Have you or a loved one been coughing for months or years and can't get the medical help you need? Well, wait no more. Dr. Jamie Kaufman is with us today to talk about chronic cough enigma. Dr. Kaufman is one of America's leading laryngologists and experts on acid reflux and voice disorders. She is New York Times bestselling author of Dropping Acid, The Reflux Diet Cookbook and Cure, and her new book, The Chronic Cough Enigma. Dr. Kaufman is also the founder and director of the Voice Institute of New York. Dr. Kaufman, welcome back to Nurse Talk. It's a pleasure to have you with us today. Thank you so much. What a nice introduction. <laughs> what are you used to? <laughs> well, not that, that was wonderful. Thank you. It, it, it sounded lovely. Usually it's just like, oh, here's this lady. Oh, here's Dr. Kaufman. Here she is. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, Dr. Kaufman, you say 80% of people with asthma are misdiagnosed. Do you mind talking about that a little bit? I've been taking care of patients with voice disorders for most of my career. I take care of opera singers and stars and school teachers and clergy. And over the course of the last 35 years, I've become an expert on acid reflux, and particularly acid reflux that affects the airway, the throat, the sinuses, and now even the lungs. To make a long story short, the observation which has been most difficult to um, impart to my medical colleagues, by the way, very fragmented healthcare today, too many specialists, mm -hmm. is the idea that asthma is not everybody that has breathing problems. So over the course of time, we've looked at some data and found that about 80% or four out of five people who come to us with asthma don't have it. And that chronic cough is one of the most common symptoms for which a person sees, sees a doctor, but in many cases, uh, patients go from doctor to doctor and never get well. So that's why this book was written, because there's a huge population of people out there. We're talking about between a 10 and 20% of the American population. Wow. So what's an airway test and what does it show? Well, the airway, first of all, let's get our terms down. Esophageal reflux or GERD is basically heartburn and indigestion, and everybody seems to know what that is. Um, the gastroenterologists look in the esophagus, and they basically look for damage. However, it's not the most common symptom. We made this big mistake way back when we said heartburn is reflux, reflux is heartburn, it's about the esophagus. As it turns out, more people have silent reflux into the airway, the airway being from the tip of your nose, including your sinuses and your throat, and your breathing tubes, bronchial tubes, and down into the lung. We have, it, it turns out, an epidemic of airway reflux. So this is not, not only is it asthma, if it's not asthma, it's sinusitis, it isn't sinusitis, allergies that aren't allergies, laryngitis, it isn't laryngitis, wow. and so on. It's a big deal, and it's a great black hole. And can those, I'm just wondering, just anecdotally, there I have a family member who, uh, has been having heart attacks and got a stent placed, and now they're saying, oh, whoops, you didn't have a heart attack. You don't need that stent. We think that you just have acid reflux. Oh, what a horrible mistake. Yeah. They're not certain that that's it, but is that enough? can it also uh, seem like chest pain to someone? Yes, absolutely. Non-cardiac chest pain is the name for reflux that can mimic a heart attack. Mm. Um, generally, people don't end up with stents. They have 
you know, extensive testing and then retesting, and usually people can differentiate that it's not, um, you know, heart problem. Of course, I guess there are people who have, you know, narrow coronaries and um, reflux-related non-cardiac chest pain, but surely it can mimic many things. A reflux, particularly silent reflux, is a great masquerader, maybe the great masquerader of our time. Wow. So back to what, what's an airway test and what does it show? Well, when we examine the throat, um, we're looking into the airway, and it's done with a special ultra-fine instrument that's placed through the nose, and what we really see is swelling. Um, swelling that makes vocal cords, for example, twice as fat as they should be. This gives people hoarseness. A swelling in the back of the throat enough that causes difficulty swallowing. And so that when we see these findings, they're often associated in, in mucus, too much mucus in the throat. Here are the symptoms of airway reflux. Here are the symptoms of asthma that is an asthma. Post-nasal drip, too much throat mucus, chronic throat clearing sensation of a lump in the throat, difficulty swallowing, pills getting stuck, asthma that is an asthma, and sinusitis that isn't sinusitis, and all of their related symptoms, and hoarseness. Huh. So that's amazing. In your new book, The Chronic Cough, you, you really boldly point out that in one of the chapters that uh, some of these misdiagnoses are really expensive, and you point to the needs of patients being lost in a healthcare system dominated by a for-profit culture, uh, by a medicine characterized by collusion, price fixing, and corruption. So can you say a little more about that? Is that part of why all these misdiagnoses are occurring? Well, let me make a, the following statement. If I'm right and asthma isn't asthma four to five times, then what's happening is patients are going to doctors and doctors are scratching their heads or getting a breathing test and then uh, saying, here's medicine. Um, it costs us, uh, in my estimation, a, we waste or... I should say, misspend about a billion dollars a week on incorrect asthma. Wait, did um, you say a billion dollars? Uh, a, a week. A week. Yes. Oh my God. Let, let me let me let me digress and and give what I think for listeners is the most important litmus test and and something that I'd like to try to teach everyone in the nation, and that is the difference between in and out. Mm-hmm. If you have asthma, when you have a breathing attack, you have trouble getting air out, trouble during the exhalation. If you have trouble breathing in, however, getting air in during the inspiration, it's reflux and not asthma. Mm. And that's one of the ways that I know that all these people don't have asthma. If you have trouble breathing in, it's never asthma. And so a lot of these people still, though, they respond to albuterol, they respond to steroidal inhalers, but I'm guessing that's because you're going to get some reduction in inflammation with these two agents anyway. Is that why people will still respond and think that they're treating what is asthma, but it's not? I'm guessing here. The responses vary, by the way. Many of the patients I say to, you know, by the way, do the asthma medicines help you at all? And they go, no. Yeah. Uh, the, The reason why the inhalers are more likely to help a little bit, if anything, more than the steroids, is because we are dealing with reactive airway disease. Mm-hmm. In the throat, there are receptors like switches. And guess what? When acid hits those receptors, it closes down the throat. And that's why you have trouble breathing in. Whereas with real asthma, the receptors cause for closing down inside the lung. So the, uh, the, the, the albuterol can actually help get reactive airway disease even if it's the throat. And that's why there's even more confusion among doctors who don't apparently know this difference. 
So, Dr. Kaufman, it sounds like who you really need to educate, the public is, is a great way to start, is other doctors. How do you get this message out to your colleagues? Well, it's funny because I had a patient in the office a couple of weeks ago, and sure enough, it was one of these asthma that isn't asthma and all that deal. And um, so she went back to her pulmonologist, and, and the whole story was uh, told apparently. And the pulmonologist, with, with, with uh, um, tremendous amazement, said, wow, that's amazing, that in-and-out thing. <laughs> and so it is staggering um, that, is that staggering. this is not general information that every single physician working in an emergency room doesn't know. Um, to be honest with you, I've been lecturing to physicians. I've run national meetings and international guest lecturing for all of my career. And this book was written because I couldn't get an article published on non-pulmonary chronic cough. So generally speaking, who... Fall, you know, the, there are patients who fall through the cracks. Mm. If the lungs are passed, if the lung doctor says, gee, the lungs look okay, who does the cough patient see? An allergist, an ENT, a gastroenterologist, who? And so that there are large numbers of patients like this who just fall through the cracks. That's sad. It is bad. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, it's, it's worse than you can imagine. Um, 40% of the American population has reflux, and generally speaking, reflux is being poorly managed in this country. And I seem to remember last time we had you on, you were talking about the acid they put in sodas and any carbonated beverages, and i got to say... It's not just carbonated. Um, the, the name of the book's Dropping Acid, and the reason it is is in 1973, the FDA decided that acidification of stuff in bottles would be used to kill bacteria. Mm. In fact, someone said they found a mouse in a Diet Mountain Dew last year, and the Diet Mountain Dew defense was, no, mouse dissolves all of it, including bones. You cannot find a mouse in a Diet Mountain Dew. And that's because it's more acidic than stomach acid. Oh my gosh. And that's when the reflux epidemic began. We have uh, both problems with uh, the food industry and, and the healthcare industry. It's almost like they're in collusion. Yes. Um, the food industry made us sick, and the healthcare industry has made us poor. It's <laughs> true. Boy, that's so very true. <laughs> so what can a patient do as far as asking questions or advocating for themselves if they're having these symptoms? Well, first of all, the word is advocate is correct. If you are a patient, you must be your advocate. Yes. The ship has sailed that you just trust the doctor and do what the doctor recommends. I'm sorry to say it, but in the old days, doctors made house calls, and now they make business plans. And so in many cases, the kind of testing that's done in my office isn't done because reimbursement's not good enough, so they just don't bother. So patients must be their own advocate. Patients must be sophisticated. Patients must have family members if they go into the hospital standing by their side, yes. and patients must uh, particularly question having procedures. So why did I write these books? And I'm continuing, by the way. There's a new one coming soon on, on Barrett's esophagus and Barrett's diet. The reality is that um, the root cause of these diseases for most of us is what you eat and when you eat it. I mean, is not diabetes and obesity and reflux and sleep apnea and asthma, all of these, are they not all dietary related? And so the root cause is diet and lifestyle, and physicians have traditionally offered pills and procedures instead of an analysis and understanding of how to go back to the beginning with the, with the belief that Americans are either too stupid or unwilling to take some responsibility for their own health. 
in my experience, there's nothing could, could be further from the truth. I so it's it's such a pleasure to hear a doctor say that uh, you need an advocate, that you have to advocate for yourself, that you can't just listen to what the doctor says, uh, that our health care is fragmented. Uh, that's a beautiful thing to hear. Well, if I, you know, I mean, someone has to speak truth. And my experience has been, <clears throat> um, even as a patient, I had back surgery, big back surgery, L3, 4, 5 fusion. And my, my recollection of how it happened is they really tried their very best to kill me. I had uh, more drugs of the same kind and killed Heath Ledger. I was so worried I was going to die that I said I need a, a pulse oximeter on my finger and a private duty nurse sitting in front of me 24-7. Yeah. Um, so that, the, we, the, that we really are at a time where change is going to have to come from, you know, grassroots. People are very concerned. And I think, but I think the most positive thing is that people are beginning to rally around the idea of healthy eating and healthy lifestyle, which I, I certainly advocate strongly for my patients. That's great. We really appreciate that. We really appreciate that philosophy here on the show. Is there anything else you'd like to share with us? No, just that um, both Dropping Acid and Chronic Cough Enigma are at all the Barnes & Noble stores. We appreciate their support. And, um, and online, and if you Google Dropping Acid or Chronic Cough Enigma, you'll find me. And uh, the Voice Institute of New York is where I am. I'm here in, in Midtown, New York. That's great. Thank you so much. I do have to say that I did stop drinking uh, sodas and bottled things. And the other effect for me, besides the reduction in the acid reflux, is that it changed the acid base of my mouth and I don't build as much tartar. So yeah, tar uh, Tartar is a very, if you have a lot of tartar, your yes. diet's probably not so good. That's a very good measure. Yes. Thank you yeah. so much. We really appreciate your efforts. Thank, Thank you, you, Doctor. Bye-bye. We've been talking with Dr. Jamie Kaufman, nationally renowned laryngologist and author of The Chronic Cough Enigma. For more information about Dr. Kaufman, visit www.voiceinstituteofnewyork.com or nursetalksite.com. Thank you so much for being with us. And uh, we'll be right back with health trivia and your email questions. You're listening to Nurse Talk, where laughter is the best medicine. As I went through school, one giant question loomed over me. What did I want to be? But in order to know what I wanted to be, I had to first decide what I wanted to make. I wanted to make more. So I became a teacher. Now I make learning a privilege, not a chore. And frustration a tool, not an obstacle. I make working hard seem easy and giving up impossible. I make an old subject feel like a fresh thought and unconventional methods common. I make material things less important, and little things like patience and kindness count. I make weekdays more exciting than weekends, and classrooms feel like anything but. I make things different, which is all I ever hoped for. I'm a teacher. I make more. Find out how you can make more at teach.org. Make more. Teach. Brought to you by Teach and the Ad Council. Hey, Billy. Yeah? Do you want to go to the state fair? Yeah. Do you want to ride the roller coaster? Yeah. The big one? Yeah. The one with the reverse flip? <gasps> yeah! Well, you can't. Huh? You see, Billy, when you throw away money on wasted electricity, you throw away everything you could have done with it, including going to the state fair. Oh, man. Cheer up. This year, your parents will make it right. They're going to visit energysavers.gov where they'll get tips on how to save energy and money. 
Then they'll add extra insulation and get a few of those Energy Star appliances. They could save hundreds of dollars a year. And you know what, Billy? What? They'll take you to the state fair <gasps> next year. But I want to go this year. I know you do, Billy. I know you do. Saving energy saves you money. Learn more at energysavers.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Energy and the Ad Council. No, I'm not the doctor. Yes, I know that I'm a man. <laughs> now, would you please just turn around? I think you understand. <laughs> But I have got this needle, I promise I will make it fast. Now would you please shut up and drop your drawers, let me stick you in your left thigh. I am a nurse, oh I am a nurse. Sing it out to me. Oh, it don't get much better than this, but it don't get worse again now. Oh, doctor, doctor, hear my plea. Hands on the patient, not on me. Is that an R, an S, or T? Your handwriting is so hard to read. Oh, I am a nurse. Oh, I am a nurse. Oh, it don't get much better than this, but it don't get worse. Sing it out now. Oh, I am Last time. It don't get worse. Oh, it don't get worse. One more. It don't get worse. So, Casey, uh, actually, last week was my mom's birthday. Happy birthday, I know. So, what I wanted to say is that all materials related to health trivia are the sole responsibility of Nurse Talk LLC and not affiliated with any network or stream service airing our broadcast because that's the kind of son that I am. That's the sad news. I just want to say a personal note to Mrs. Mason. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but happy birthday to you. Our health trivia question for this week is, what is a salmon patch? Yes, that's a medical term. And if you know the answer to this week's question or are the first to look it up, you can email or call us. You'll win a $25 gift certificate to Starbucks. You can email at contest at nursetalksite.com or you can call 1-800-977-1863. Oh, and actually, uh, Casey, I'm being, our producer's telling me that this week the gift certificate is actually to the Salmon Patch, which is a gentleman's <laughs> club in Tijuana. <laughs> okay, so you heard it here. If, if you're the first with the right answer to Salmon Patch, we're sending you down to Tijuana to the original Salmon Patch. That's okay. a great place to be. So our question last week, Shane, was what is MERS, Middle East Respiratory Syndrome? It's a viral respiratory illness. Mm -hmm. I do think we had a winner, but they didn't want to be identified. We're going to send them the, uh, we're going to do it all anonymously. So I think they is were because they had a hijab on or what do you call it? <laughs> yes, it's because they were afraid of getting in some serious trouble in their <laughs> homeland. <laughs> so MERS is the acronym for Middle East Respiratory Syndrome Coronavirus, the virus that causes MERS. When referring to the virus and not the illness, the CDC does use the acronym. When referring to the illness, they use the, uh, they use the say, um, MERS. MERS. The virus was first reported in 2012 in Saudi Arabia. If you want more information, visit cdc.gov. The good news, though, is that if you die of this illness, you do get 72 virgins. 
You do. Wow, that's quite amazing. <laughs> so, you know, it's just a little throwback, so don't feel too bad if, if you do get MERS. And I wonder if that's anywhere in the world you can get the 72 versions. I don't or is know. It just I just know that country? I'm like three for three on saying some tacky <laughs> crap right now. So, uh, uh, so, so maybe we to ought say, to save ourselves and go to some email questions, yes, Shane. Yes, thank you. So, <laughs> so why, here, you got why it? don't you start? All right. So dear Casey and Shane, I recently visited my mother for a very brief stay. She's 69 and in good health. At least I think she is. One thing that was startling to me was her face was drooping and her eye looked funny and kept running. Mm. She had a hard time opening her mouth wide. My aunt who lives with her said she had been fine and that there were no incidents where she fell or anything like that. I'm very concerned and asked that she might make an appointment with the doctor. Any ideas what this might be? Love your show, by the way. I get it on the iHeart app. And this is from Jim S. in Fort Collins, Colorado. What do you think? Jim S. of Fort Collins, Colorado. Mm -hmm. I say go back and get your mom to go to the doctor ASAP. She needs to, I would even call her up if you don't live in the area and tell her go to the emergency room. When you have a facial droop and one side of your face effecti is effective and you can't smile, of course, the first thing I think about is a stroke, cardiovascular accident, and you really want her. Now, you know, there is Bell's palsy, but she would be having some pain and some difficulty that way. But she definitely needs to go see somebody ASAP. Yeah, and this is all assuming that uh, your mom didn't get a bad batch of cocaine, of course. <laughs> you are four for four today. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I don't think your mom got a bad batch of cocaine. <laughs> I'm pretty sure not. I don't think they get good stuff in Fort Collins. That's all I'm saying. But marijuana is legal in Fort Collins. Huh? So, <laughs> All right, next question. All right, let's go to our next uh, email question. Dear nurses, we love your show. That's it. That's all they write. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I have been dying to ask this question and could have looked it up, but wanted to hear your take on it. For years, I've been hearing the term cauliflower ear. I guess I heard it in old movies and TV shows showing my age, but always amused me. No offense to anyone who might have a cauliflower here, <laughs> but just curious and uh, thought other folks my age might be too. Sherry J. of Worcester, Mass. P.S. At least it's a vegetable. Oh, no, I didn't mean that. <laughs> Isn't that cauliflower? And that one, it's like boxers and it's stuff, boxers. right? Getting punched in the ear. Getting punched in the ear and it gets misshapen and looks a little bit like a cauliflower. And I think Fortunately, the, it doesn't smell like cauliflower, That's though. good because it's not well vascularized, so I would imagine it's just tough to get that and you probably build up scar tissue. There's yeah, cartilage there, so it, you get some I would some imagine scarring, that's yeah. exactly what they're saying, that you do get scar tissue in the cartilage and it accumulates over time. The ear is swollen with blood and bruising beneath the skin. And later after the cartilage has died, the ear will appear pale and shriveled Gross. and deformed. I mean, that's So bad. it's not good for boxers. Yes. Don't get punched in the ear a lot. Yes. Dear nurses, Lord help me because no one ever listens to me. Did I write this or no? <sighs> huh? I love my mother very much and visit her often. She is pretty healthy or so I thought. She's 78 years old and takes blood pressure medication, but other than that, no other medications except for regular doses of Tylenol. She finally told me she takes over 10 Tylenols a day. I'm very concerned because I told her I think that's way too much and it could harm her. She says she needs it for her arthritis, but I'm not so sure. Lately, she hasn't been feeling well. She's nauseous and weak and looks a little funny to me. Can you give me some insight into my thoughts about Tylenol and how I might talk to her about it. Love your show. Lots of fun. Sheila M. in Portland, Oregon. All right. The first thing I got to say, 3,000 milligrams is the maximum daily dose of Tylenol. So if she's taking a 325 milligram Tylenol. And I she got, might be taking a 500. And she might even be taking a 500. She's way over the limit. And Tylenol does significant damage to your kidneys. And plus, I don't find Tylenol, I mean, to your liver. 
Tylenol really hurts your liver. I don't find Tylenol as effective, especially for arthritis-type pain, as ibuprofen, but then that has its own side effects with, with the bleeding. So first off, tell your mom, way too much Tylenol. And then I got to ask why she's taking it. Is it just for the arthritis? And, you know, that's a lot. And has she seen her doctor about it and other options to take? Yeah, I think she could probably get some better pain relief. Through. Absolutely. And, and if you, you know, if um, you end up taking a lot of ibuprofen, there's naproxen, there's, there's all kinds of NSAIDs. There's all kinds are, of things you can that try. That are helpful, um, as well as some non-pharmaceutical uh, options as well. So some, some stretching, some ice, some heat might be helpful as Yoga. well. Yoga. Yoga. Even at 78, those kind of things can really help. And stretching and doing those kind of things, those interventions are very good for you. Just make but sure you were right on about the Tylenol. Yeah, so just, just make sure she didn't get hooked on the coleslaw, all the old people there. <laughs> you you are really the hooked up on this coleslaw. I got to say, know. neither one of my parents like coleslaw. Is I that like an I Oklahoma situation? If you don't think it's funny, then screw you. I think it's funny. <laughs> well, I do think it's funny that people would use a credit card to buy coleslaw. <laughs> just <laughs> cases and cases of coleslaw. Where is she putting all the coleslaw. <laughs> and her bowels have never been better. <laughs> uh, all all right, right, next question. All right, so the next question. Dear Casey and Shane, so much is being said about concussions these days, and I'm mm-hmm. very confused about the whole matter. That's because you have a concussion. <laughs> you hear right. terrible you things. after hitting your head. <laughs> you hear terrible things in the news about people falling and being okay afterwards, only to have them to go to sleep and never wake up. <laughs> so <laughs> when <laughs> does <laughs> one know if a bump on the head is just that, or if a bump on the head is something worse? And what should you do if it happens to a child or an adult, or for me, or for that matter? Love your show. This is from Janine S. in Portland, Oregon. Portland's in the house today. Way to go, Portland. <laughs> well, I have to say the bumps on the head can be kind of serious. And people don't take them seriously enough. And yes, there are those people who I think of the famous person up in Canada who was skiing and hit her head and they went and she was seen, but they didn't do a CT exam and they sent her home and she died. A relatively young woman, 30s or 40s. I mean, it can happen. I, you're grinning, so there must be something behind that, Shane. What do you think about That's because every time they write in, you say you're going to die. <laughs> Every single one. They're like, oh, I've noticed I've had a few more hangnails recently. What did you hear about that one person that died? All the hangnails? When it comes to the concussions, it can be serious. Now, one of the things when you fall and hit your head, if you have a bump on the outside, that's a good thing. If you've got no, because the swelling is coming outwards. If you've got no bump, and you develop a headache, you really want to go see somebody because the idea is you can have some bleeding on the brain. And if you go to sleep because you're kind of tired and whatnot, you can not wake up. You can wake up dead. You can not wake up. So also, if you lose consciousness, you want to go be seen for sure. So that's one thing that you can do to assess. So, you know, ask someone, did you lose consciousness? Do some simple, did you remember what was going on right before you fell down? That's the big deal. What day is it? What time is it? Where are you? Stuff like that. If there's any sort of cognitive disturbance or if they lost consciousness, then you definitely want to go to an ER. And when it comes to a kid, if a kid fell and hit their head, and especially if it's on a hard surface, concrete, or I think of a ceramic tiled floor or mm-hmm. hardwood floor, you definitely want to take that seriously. And if the kid is verbal enough to say, what did you do just before you fell to, to say or continue talking to the child to see if the child knows where yeah. they are and what's happening. 
Take yeah. them to the ER and get a CT scan. Yeah, and if it's an elderly person, you just wave some coleslaw on their face, and then if they don't snap <laughs> out of it, <laughs> then you know that they're really sick. So common symptoms... Yeah, they don't want to eat coleslaw there, that's it. They yeah, are going to die. Sign. So common symptoms after a concussive traumatic <laughs> brain injury are headache, loss of memory, yes. and confusion. Uh, the amnesia usually infol- uh, involves loss of memory of the event that caused the concussion. So you again, you ask what was happening right before you fell. So if they have a really bad headache, temporary loss of consciousness... If they continue to be confused for a period of uh, time afterwards, any nausea or vomiting, if their speech is slurred, you know, most people, they hit their head and then 30 minutes later, they're kind of like looking good and no big deal, no headache, no slurred speech. If there's any sort of lingering symptoms after hitting your head, you want to go get checked out. You definitely want to get checked out. And concussions can take a while, uh, while to heal from, even those that don't turn into something uh, very serious, so you can have headaches and that that go on, but it's good to be checked out and make sure that there's nothing going on. We have a short amount of time left, and I just wanted to say one thing. Obamacare did hit its target. There's good about the Obamacare as we hit our targets. The bad news is it it has emboldened the insurance companies, and they're going to find ways to get around all the fixes that Obamacare built into it. The g- other good news is in 2016, each state will have the option to try to go for a health care for all in that state. And I'm hoping that in 2016, Vermont, California, Washington, Oregon, Maine, all these states on either side of the country will lead the charge for health care for all. Well, I'm hoping in 2016 we'll finally have sex bots and flying cars, but I don't know if that's going to happen. <laughs> okay, good, Shane. We're out of stuff. We're out of stuff, and that's a dangerous time because Shane is feeling very frisky today. <laughs> so. <laughs> so so what are the um, what are the things we've been talking we've been talking about? You got to advocate for yourself at the hospital. You definitely do. You can't go to the hospital alone. That's a very big alone. key because you have to take somebody with you, and even to a doctor's office. Sometimes you hear things from the doctor once they say the c word, for instance. Everything else they say is like what a dog hears. Blah 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 blah. Like when they tell you, you got cauliflower ear. Yeah. Like no. No. Yeah. No. No. More like the big C cancer. Um, then you don't hear anything past that, and a lot of cancers are very treatable. So. By all means, take an advocate with you so that they can hear what's going on and they can question the doctor. And I have to say, having worked in a hospital, if there's somebody who you have a friend or an advocate with you, as a nurse, I'm a lot more careful about what I'm doing. I know somebody is watching. Somebody is asking questions. That's an important thing. And today, in today's medical arena, you definitely want to protect yourself by having somebody with you. And you also want to get smart. Go to NNU's website because there's lots about observation days. There's all kind of things that hospitals are doing now to work around the PPACA. So you really want to protect yourselves out there. And what's the PPACA again? The Patient Protection Affordable Care Act. And I want to say it every time because the whole idea of this bill was patient protection. To protect us and to put in some parameters on insurance companies, it was hard to do. And they're busy looking at lots of ways to get around everything we put in into place. And most hospitals now, when I first came on as a nurse 37 years ago, it was small hospitals and everything was uh, guaranteed and set. Uh, When a woman went and had a baby in a hospital, she got seven days. That's now she doesn't even get 24 hours. She's kicked out before that uh, bed is even warm. She's given her baby and goodbye. Yeah, that's because I need a sandwich. That's why. (laughs) 
<laughs> Would so, that be a salmon burger? <laughs> <laughs> so a big special thanks, thanks to the California Cal- Nurses. You, you do it. <laughs> special thanks to the California Nurses Association and National Nurses United for their support of Nurse Talk. To learn more about today's topics, visit nursetalksite.com or nnu.org. A great big thank you to our executive producer, Patty Lockard, Daria Karpova, post-production, Dennis Cruz and the team at TalkStream Network, Taylor Lockard, Social Networking, and Progressive Voices Tune In, and all of our other wonderful broadcast partners. Remember, to laugh, you got to listen. To listen, you got to tune in. Love you. Have a good week. Thanks for listening to Nurse Talk, where laughter is the best medicine. Brought to you by National Nurses United. Check us out on Facebook or go to our website at nursetalksite.com. For more information about National Nurses United and the California Nurses Association, visit nationalnursesunited.org. Until next week, remember, laughter is the best medicine.